press it. Let's see. Go live. Yeah, don't forget to hit press record. Oh, yeah. <laughs> nice. <one. laughs> I know, right? We'll always laugh about that. I know, man. I, to I told them about that, too, in my email, and they loved it. So. Oh, That's funny. Okay. It is. All right. Let me just quiet that down okay cool all right i just think i just want to double check everybody can see us and they should be seeing us all right is everybody there i just want to make sure that we have people in the chat guys let me know if you can um hear me on youtube i just want to make sure that we get confirmed we have dr robbins on i just want to make sure all right good we got one person saying that we're live all right we're gonna go ahead and get started so Hey everyone, this is Victor from Cyborg for Life, and I want to welcome you all to the first episode of Limitly Live, where the patients get to interview the guests in this fast-paced question and answer. Today, I am joined by the super talented, world-class Limitly and deformity correction surgeon, Dr. Craig Robbins of the Paley Institute in West Palm Beach, Florida. Dr. Robbins, you're here. <laughs> I'm here. Thank you for having me, and thanks to the anonymous guests in the audience. Yes, yes, yes. The anonymous guest. <laughs> no, man, you are a superstar after your interview that you did the other uh, week. So thanks so much. But um, anyway, yeah, we're gonna get right into it. So we have a lot of people anticipating this Lemon Thing Live. So the way it's going to work is I'm going to ask the questions that were submitted by those who initially signed up before the little switcheroo. And then whatever time we have left, we'll dive into the chat and pick up some questions there. So you guys ready? All right, so let's do this. So question number one was from a patient. They were asking about unilateral lengthening. And uh, they basically said, what would, what would you say to a prospective patient who says, I don't want to get confined to a wheelchair with a precise nail, a precise two nail. So I want to do one side at a time, lengthen to one to seven centimeters, wait for it to heal, then lengthen the right, the other leg out to even it out. I had the money and, and the time. Is this a good way to go about it? So whether you do one side or both sides, you're still going to have to limit your weight bearing and you are not confined to a wheelchair or either. Yeah. We will teach you in our therapy department how to limit your weight within the uh, manufactured recommendations of the nail. Mm. So for instance, if you weigh under 150 pounds and we're able to put the largest size nail, you can in fact stand unassisted. You can't walk single leg unassisted, but you can stand. Mm. If, however, you weigh combined weight less than, or, sorry, more than what the nails can have, for instance, if you weigh 125 pounds and you have the nails rated for 50 pounds each, then you will have to stand while supporting yourself with the walker. Uh, but to be clear, none of our stature patients are ever confined to a wheelchair for the duration of lengthening and healing. So I want to make sure you understand that. All right. Good, good answer. All right. So we have another question. I'm going to rotate through some patients questions. So the next one is what's the best age for limb lengthening? When you are psychologically and physically and emotionally and financially ready, mm -hmm. as long as you are skeletally mature, which means you are no longer growing. And that's something that's evidenced on x-ray. If you're not sure, 17, 18 is usual for growing teenagers to become skeletally mature. We have lengthened people in their 60s. So people come from all walks of life for all different reasons. And as long as you're in that category, it's open for discussion. Okay. All right. Uh, another patient asks, I have a past ACL injury and had surgery done six years ago. Is it possible for me to achieve eight centimeters or even even have limb lengthening surgery done at all? So it's definitely possible to successfully undergo limb lengthening surgery. As stated in multiple interviews, we will never guarantee a total length you can achieve, mm. but we just finished lengthening a gentleman who is about three years from an ACL injury I think he went to six centimeters about uh, by his choice. And we just finished lengthening. That was a femur lengthening. And we just did a lengthening of the tibias and fibulas on the gentleman who had a patellar tendon injury and reconstruction uh, also in the last few years. And he achieved his goal of about five centimeters. Okay. So long answer, yes, it is possible to do successful 
limb lengthening after ACL reconstruction. Okay, cool. Um, so this question is from a discrepancy patient. Um, he basically says, I've been wearing a three quarter inch uh, insole, shoe, shoe lift insole for about a month now. Before that, it was a half an inch shoe insole. My hips are way more even with the three quarter inch. Um, he's still working on correcting his spine, but he notices is that he has this sensation to want to stretch his hamstring and his hip on the side that the lift is on. Does any of your patients notice this? And this is one of his biggest reservations from getting limb lengthening done. Um, and he's wondering, is this going to be the same sensation that he has after getting limb lengthening or the muscles going to feel different? Gotcha. So obviously there's much more to the story. I'd have to understand why you have the discrepancy, how long you've had this discrepancy, but a uh, long answer made short, you're doing it exactly right. If you have an actual or a perceived difference in your limb length and you can guesstimate what it is, I love doing the experiment where you wear a shoe lift approximating the difference and see how you feel because yes, that will approximate how you'll feel after your limb is lengthened. Now, the feeling of being equal when you stand is different than the feeling you get during function or walking. So what you're reporting having a sensation of tightness in the hip, I don't know how that will translate after lengthening, but a good thing to do now, obviously, is to stretch your hamstring in your hip and see how it feels. And if you get to the point where your muscles feel great and that extra three-quarter three quarter inch lift makes you feel level, then you're a great candidate to have a short lengthening to get you where you feel good. Awesome. I like that because being a discrepancy patient, I know that, that I know that's uh, right up my alley. So, all right, Dr. Robbins, we have another question. Uh, I want to be discreet about limb lengthening. So what kind of makeup story would be convincing to um, – other doctors, you know, after they get the surgery done, what they came up with was that they had a tumor, which activated, um, was, was activated by their hormones and caused their legs to grow. How does that sound? <laughs> okay. So there, there's a lot of things to unpack. So first and foremost, uh, we will not be part of any cover story. Um, it's important to understand that from a medical perspective, your personal journey and your health information is protected and not discussed, just as if you were going to another doctor for another problem. So from our practice point of view, um, what you tell people is up to you. Uh, from a second point of view, honesty is always the best policy when you're conversing with your other physicians. You ask them a question, you may have a cover story. And using a story about a tumor is never a good idea because that's sort of a red flag to look for problems that might not exist and that just raises all sorts of problems. So when you're communicating with your healthcare providers, uh, straightforward honesty is, is essential to the relationship uh, for many levels, not just with us as limb lengthening surgeons um, about all aspects of your life. But what you tell your friends and your family is up to you. I will not be part of your cover story, uh, but I will help keep your privacy. I like it. <laughs> He's not going to join the, the little syndicate you guys have going on. I like no, it. All right. it, it, it. And if you want, if you want me to interrupt your Q&A, I can tell you anecdotes. Yeah. Uh, or you want to hit all the questions. So it was just an interesting situation we had where a gentleman came for stature lengthening and was having surgery and his partner was with him. And he said to me before surgery, well, I always ask, who do you want me to communicate with after surgery and tell them how it went? And he said, I'd like you to communicate with my girlfriend, but don't tell her what surgery I had. Mm. And they were coming down for several months to be here for the length. I have no idea what he told her, but as per his wishes, I told her that surgery went well, but I did not go into any of the details. And ultimately, <laughs> I'm, not sure, I'm not sure what he told her. Um, but they made it through the lengthening together. So wow. told her something. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> wow. Well, yeah. Okay. So you can kind of keep it. You can, you can, you can remove details, but you, you're not going to lie to it. I like it. Um, Correct. Okay. Uh, so another patient is asking about being confined to a wheel or like, again, not confined, but like um, being limited with the precise nail. And they're thinking about getting lengthening done with the lengthening over nail external tibias, because at least they can weight bear more be more mobile and walk sooner. 
if this, even if this means more pain, what do you suggest in this case? It's an interesting question and it's not a service that we offer. Um, Lengthening with an external fixator has been done for decades, whether it's for stature, cosmetic, uh, deformity, whatever it is. And that's obviously tried and true, as is lengthening over now, which I'm sure most of your audience is aware Dr. Paley described that in the 90s. So what is the benefit of lengthening over a nail, which is one surgery to put the fixators on and the nails in, then a second surgery to take the fixators off and lock the nails? Um, does that get you weight-bearing faster? Mm-hmm. Probably it does get you weight-bearing faster because between because the fixator gives you support to allow weight-bearing. I'm, I'm presuming it's constructed in such a way that your surgeon will let you weight bear immediately. Mm-hmm. The question to ask is, why don't we do fixator stature lengthening? And it's partly because of the scars, it's partly because of cosmesis. It's uh, more difficult to rehab in general. I'm assuming you're talking lengthening below the knees and the tibias and fibulas. I can't imagine somebody doing fixator lengthening over nail and the femurs. But anyway, it's more scars. It's um, theoretically um, more surgery if you're ultimately going to have the tibial nails removed. Mm-hmm. Are they able to put nails in that are strong enough to support the alignment during the consolidation process if the fixators are removed? I don't know the answers to that. So to flip the question back to you, if you're considering having this done, I would ask your surgeon very clearly, how many patients are actually able to walk with the fixators off? Uh, how many patients are maintaining their alignment after the fixators come off? And what are the differences in their hands of patients undergoing full weight bearing nail lengthening or fixator uh, assisted, sorry, lengthening over a nail, which I don't have experience with that in this setting. Okay. Got so it. I can't gotcha. give you, I can't give you a direct answer. Um, but if I can go off on another little tangent, yeah. obviously yeah. we had the stride nail for about two years and it's off the market now. And so I have all the experience of patients starting with precise and then moving to stride and then going back to precise. And the end result is that if this is something you're wanting to do, and this is something you're just been prepared to do, don't wait for the potential comeback of the stride or its replacement because we don't know when and if that's happening. And if you wait a year for this to happen and it doesn't happen, well, you've just lost the year that you would have undergone it and recovered and been almost back to normal. Mm -hmm. So if the time is right, then you do it. You might spend a long time waiting. Now, the flip side to that is I don't know the centers that are doing the lengthening over the nail. And just as I would counsel anyone coming to us, you want to make sure you're in a place where you feel comfortable. You want to make sure you're in a place where you think safety is is the most important thing. And you want to understand what their infrastructure is for successful lengthening. Are they doing two a year? Are they doing 200 a year? Uh, Are you going to be in a hospital during your stay? Are you going to be staying local? So just the same questions that you would ask us if you were interviewing us to become part of your care team, um, just ask good questions of your surgeon, just because they may offer a technique that sounds better. It's not just the surgery, it's all the post-op, physical therapy, the follow-up, the access to your surgeons, and all those other things that we think we have uh, very well established as paleontologists. That's a brilliant answer. Yeah, that, that, that's kind of like what I always tell patients when they ask me that question too. Um, Dr. Robin, somebody's asking about the, what, what are the size of the scars or the incision um, sites for the precise and stride nail, the internal lengthening nail? Are they, how big are they on, let's say the femur and then the tibia? Okay, so if you're having a femur stature lengthening as part of that surgery, mm-hmm. we do soft tissue uh, surgery near the knee. And what that means is there's a band of tissue called the iliotibial band, And then there's a group of muscles in the back of your leg that's part of your hamstring. And through about a four centimeter or three and a half centimeter incision, which is about an inch and a half, on the side of your leg close to your knee, Mm -hmm. we're able to do the soft tissue release. So that's the largest incision in the femur lengthening. Mm -hmm. Then to put the rod in, it's a half inch incision, maybe two centimeters, which is about three quarters of an inch, up near the hip. If you feel the bump on the back, on the side of your hip, and then come up a couple of inches from that, excuse me, we put a small incision there. That's where the rod goes in. 
So there's one at the very top where the rod goes in, and then we have to lock the rod in position. So we do that through about a half inch incision centered over that bump on the side of your hip. We use two screws there. And then depending on the length of the nail we use, sometimes we're able to use that incision by your knee to put two screws to lock the nail. But oftentimes you have to make one more incision about a centimeter closer down to your knee. So those are the incisions to get the nail in. Those are the incisions to use the soft tissues. Those are the incisions to put four screws to hold it in place. And then at some point we have to make an incision where we actually cut the bone. And that's surprisingly the smallest incision is only about one centimeter, maybe even a tiny bit smaller than that. And that's about two or three inches below that bump on the side of your hip. So for femur lengthening, all of the scars are on the outside. And the biggest one is down by the knee. And then there are a series of smaller ones on the side of your leg to put the nail in and cut the bone. Gotcha. Wow. Okay. So they're small and that's why the, it's, it holds the name of cosmetic limb lengthening. Very Correct. Cool. Awesome. All right. So next question is, um, I have developed flat feet this year and I'm wondering if it somehow will affect my limb lengthening surgery or recovery time. Flat feet. So, so to develop flat feet, after you've reached skeletal maturity is something that needs to be checked out by an orthopedic surgeon or a podiatrist or a foot and ankle surgeon or, or somebody because you wanna make sure you're not missing some underlying cause that needs to be addressed. Um, if you're talking about a femur lengthening, which is the thigh bone above the knee, then there should be no effect on your flat feet at all. If however, you're talking about a tibial lengthening, which is below the knee, the muscles that help keep your arch, it's a muscle called the posterior tibial tendon muscle, um, that muscle, just like all the other muscles below the knee, including the heel cord, are all lengthened or tightened during the lengthening. So you want to make sure you don't have some problem with the muscles or the nerves in your feet that could be made worse by doing a lengthening below the knee of your tibia and fibula. Gotcha. Okay. Um, next person asks, how long will I have to be in the U.S. if I choose to go to the Paley Institute? For so uh, I just stopped my car and I'm back on my phone off Bluetooth. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I can hear you. Okay. So a general mantra is femur is one millimeter per day. So if your goal is for eight centimeters, which is 80 millimeters, and you're able to achieve that goal and you're able to full time, it's 80 days of lengthening and the lengthening starts a week after surgery. Okay. So if you're coming from out of the country, you have to get a COVID test. You show up a few days early to get your lodging. You have an appointment with me and Dr. Paley. And then at the end, you're going to stay a day or two before you go home. It ends up being 90 days, uh, which is three months, maybe three months in a week for a femur lengthening. As a general rule, a tibial lengthening is 0.75 millimeters per day. So that's one centimeter every two weeks. Okay. So a five centimeter tibial lengthening is about 10 weeks of lengthening. You start one week after surgery, just like with the femur. And again, it's a couple of days on either side to get into town and leave town. So that's a little bit under three months for a tibial lengthening, assuming everything's going as planned. Right. Yeah, I remember. Um, okay. So this person's asking about what, what pre precautions will be taken to prevent embolism during and after limb lengthening? So I'm going to take your question and have some creative license. I, I think what you're getting at is, what do you do to keep me safe during and after surgery? So you're asking about embolism in specific, but you probably mean all other complications too. So embolism, and I assume you're talking about something called a pulmonary embolism. And pulmonary embolism is a blood clot that usually comes from the legs. And those don't often, I can't think of ever, those don't occur during surgery. Those can occur in a couple of days after surgery. Those can occur a couple of months after surgery. So in our precise patients who have limited weight bearing, you are started on a blood thinner 
shortly after surgery and you remain on that blood thinner, which is a pill you take once a day, and you remain on that blood thinner for the duration of your lengthening, however many, 10, 12, 13 weeks, mm -hmm. and you stay on it through healing until you're back to normal full weight bearing. So you may be on a blood thinner for five months, and that's how we pre prevent embolism with pills. Right. Now, we also use in the hospital, we use compressive devices, which are little Velcro pads that go around your feet and your ankles and your legs and those squeeze to keep the blood flowing. And we encourage you to get up and move mm -hmm. and, and getting up and moving is uh, a very important way to prevent it. Right. So the other complications um, that we worry about, the ones that can be particularly life-threatening are something called fat embolism syndrome. And that's something that it can, can occur during surgery or after surgery. And so Dr. Paley developed techniques where we call venting, where particularly with the femur, we put small holes in the bone in the beginning of surgery. So as we're doing the surgery, it allows pressure to escape. Right. Uh, we work very closely with our anesthesiologists who help monitor how your body is, is oxygenating. And we keep you in the hospital closely monitored to check how your oxygen is and see how your lungs and everything's functioning. So we spend most of our time trying to prevent complications. Uh, fortunately, we also have techniques and knowledge to treat complications should they unfortunately occur. Awesome. Wow. Yeah. That's why the center has such a good rap. Um, okay. Dr. Robbins, we have another one. It's um, and then we'll get into the chat and a few, we have a few more that were sent in. Um, what are the best predictors of a fast recovery? What, like what signs would you see that, you know, your patient is recovering at a rapid rate um, or at least above average? Great question. So in today's day, and I can say this even compared to just a few years ago and, and, Definitely thanks in part to you, Victor, and, and the information you put out there. Being prepared and actually having an understanding of what you're about to go through before surgery yeah. is, to me, the best predictor of how you're going to do after surgery. Um, oftentimes, during the initial visit, I get a pretty good sense of how much homework this person has done in researching what they're, what they're thinking about putting themselves through. And some of that is, is what you think, getting online, reading things, interviewing other patients, watching videos. But a lot of it is also soul searching and introspection and asking yourself, why am I doing this and what am I trying to achieve? Is this truly for me or is this for someone else? Mm -hmm. And really understanding psychologically what you're getting yourself into. So the people who have done all of that homework really do the best, even if they have a setback along the way, even if they don't get their initial goal, even if for some reason they're having problems with their lengthening, they're best prepared to handle setbacks that come. So really knowing what you're getting self into, being in a good headspace, having good support either by family or friends. Those are all very good predictors of how you're going to do. Awesome. And one of our people in the chat here with us uh, on the, in the, uh, the, the live session is asking that they're, they're relatively non-active right now. They're pretty sedentary. How long before the surgery should they start to prepare? Um, assuming that they're completely sedentary right now, let's say they want to do limiting with you in the next uh, six months. When would they, should they start as soon as possible? Three months. So my first question is, why are you sedentary? There's so many things <laughs> you do when you're not sitting and I'm not passing judgment. I, I'm actually asking okay. if you self-describe as sedentary, it seems to me that you're aware that you are. So maybe you should do things to be less sedentary mm. and it's important. So, so the long, the long answer, cause I always do this to your question is today, <laughs> you should get up today and stop being sedentary. And that's not cause you're going to have surgery. It's cause that's going to help prolong your life. <laughs> so if even if you're not having surgery, get up and move, keep your joints moving, keep your heart working, keep your lungs. When you're getting up and walking, you're not sitting at home eating. When you're exercising and outdoors, you're meeting people. So a thousand reasons why you should get up and move today. But as it relates to limb lengthening, to rein it back in, the more your muscles and your joints are used to being stretched and used and challenged and fatigued, the better you will do. If you come into my office as a very sedentary person with very low muscle tone, I can tell you your lengthening is going to be very challenging for you because one, you're not used to feeling muscle fatigue or pain. Two, you're not used to feeling stretching pain or discomfort. And three, you're also going to have surgery. 
So all of those pains become additive and it really, really becomes very difficult. So just as I'm telling you these things, when people come in for their initial visit, I say the same thing, get up, get moving. Yoga is great. Running is great. Anything is, is better than nothing than being sedentary. What stretches can you do? If you get online to running.com or runningworld.com and just Google runner stretches for your hip and your IT band and your, and your calves and your hamstrings, anything's better than nothing. If you stretch every day, you're not going to suddenly be able to do splits in two or three weeks, but your muscles will be ready to be stretched from surgery and, and physical therapy, and you'll have much less discomfort yeah. and therefore need much less uh, post-operative pain management. I love it. That's exactly, that's kind of what you, it's kind of echoing what you said in your initial interview and it's a uh, amazing advice. Okay. So we have about three more questions of the submitted ones. And then if you have like, I don't know, five, 10 yeah. minutes, we can do. Yeah, okay. Plenty of time. Yep. All right, awesome. Okay. So, um, uh, this person is asking, why do you think that the cosmetic limb lengthening surgery is, uh, it ha it, it, it's more stigmatized than other cosmetic surgeries like, um, you know, gastric bypass or transgender surgeries, or, you know, women are trying to get their face or, you know, body augmented. Why do you think that is? So who's stigmatizing it? Cause I've never actually had anybody say to me, Oh my gosh, you're performing limb lengthening surgery. You have just been stigmatized. <laughs> so I'm being cute about it, but, but I, I don't know who's stigmatizing it. Right. So do you mean in the orthopedic community? Do you mean in the little person community? Do you mean in, uh, on the stature blogs, there's anti-lengthening blog. I don't know. Cause I don't <laughs> check the blogs. I don't have an online, I don't even have Facebook. Right, so right. I, I don't know what's being said. So, yeah. um, I don't know. I don't yeah. know how to answer that. I, I guess they're kind of coming at it from like a societal, uh, point of view, whereas like they think that if they get, you know, three inches taller after reaching skeletal maturity, you know, that maybe like their friends, coworkers, family might say, oh, you're taller. That's a weird surgery to go through. And then they have like this weird vibe when they go to family gatherings. Gotcha. You know, you know, okay. Stuff like okay. So I guess tying it into another question, it's kind of like saying, I fear there will be repercussions from other people. Therefore, I need to have a cover story, kind of yeah. like your earlier question. So okay. <sighs> <laughs> Hard to say because lengthening surgery in theory should be very hard to hide. If you have really good friends and family that you see every day and you show up after three months and you're two and a half inches taller, in theory, they should be able to tell. In reality, they often don't. Okay. Uh, if, you get, if you get 10 centimeters and then probably they do, especially if you're still on crutches and, and you're still in therapy for a few months and obviously the people close to you can tell. But some other things are easier to hide. You can go to the gym and lose weight. You can put on muscles. You can start using you know, dermatologic creams to look younger or whatever. So it's probably a little bit easier to hide some of the other cosmetic surgeries. Mm -hmm. um, but the main thing that I don't think people talk about if they say don't have limb lengthening surgery or cosmetic surgery is they're not considering the psychological impact that the person has right. from their feeling of being shorter than they should be. Absolutely. So the height dysphoria or the, uh, you know, feeling that you're, that you're not as tall as you need to be. And, and a lot of my patients tell me, especially my older patients, they've literally spent decades just perseverating on their height. And after they undergo the stature surgery, it's like transformative. I hear many times how it's been life altering. So yeah. if the other person understood how affected a stature patient was by the psychological burden they carry, then probably they wouldn't be so quick to dismiss it. Right. Okay. I love that. That's a really thoughtful answer. And that gave me some nuggets to make a new video. So thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I want you to know, I, I, uh, I've been researching for weeks, all the questions I didn't know that were coming. So, uh, yeah, that's a good one. Cause you'll probably get that quite a bit going forward as this yeah. surgery becomes more popular, but, um, yeah. okay. We have two more questions that were submitted and then we'll take a few of the, uh, in, uh chat. Uh, so this person's asking, I guess she's a dancer. She's asking, how long will it take me to wear heels and dance again after the surgery? Well, obviously we know the recovery aspect, but then wearing heels, I guess that's a different thing. Yeah. So, so it'd really be important to know which, which surgery you're having. If you're having tibial lengthening surgery, yeah. I would keep you out of heels for quite a while, mm. especially if you're using precise nails, you're going to lengthen for 10 to 12 weeks. You're going to be consolidating for 10 to 12 weeks. 
Um, you're not putting full weight. So I don't know how tight you're going to be after that four or five months. So the worst thing in the world you could do is get up on high heels and keep your ankles in that down position, which we call Aquinas, mm -hmm. because that's only contributing to you staying tight and contracted. Now, mm -hmm. if you're talking about femur lengthening, you can get back on your heels after you finish your lengthening, after you've consolidated, after you've gotten your gait strength muscles back trained. Because okay. if just because I tell you you're allowed to put full weight at five and a half months from surgery doesn't mean you have the balance and the proprioception that you can safely get on heels without falling over. <laughs> First, you have to get used to your new height. Then you have to relearn how to walk on heels. So I'm guessing uh, femur lengthening to get back on heels is probably eight months after surgery. I've never actually asked that. And now when my patients come back for their removal surgery, I will start asking how long do you get back on heels? You have a lot of patients I can think of instantly who I know wear heels. Wow. Um, crazy. So, so it, it, it's probably longer than you want it to be, but it really depends on which body part you're having lengthened and how quickly you recover. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, all right. So we have one more of the submitted questions, then we'll take a couple of them. Okay. We'll be all good. Um, so this question is uh, basically kind of like a futuristic speculation of the surgery. So this person's asking, sure. um, what are some unknowns about limb lengthening that even the surgeons don't know about? Like, what if a negative outcome happened to a patient decades after the surgery? Would the doctor just say, oh, that's not surprising. We never knew that would happen. Oh. However, it's not very surprising. Uh, that's a great question. So I have the fortune of being partnered with someone who's been doing this for quite literally 30 years. I think this <laughs> first... I think his first cosmetic lengthening patient was in 1988, or maybe wow. misquoting. You guys probably know better than me. Yeah. Um, granted, the numbers were much smaller than now. We're doing, you know, theoretically 50 a year now, and back then it was a few a year. So, right now, the answer is we don't know. Okay. We we aren't having patients coming back saying, "Oh, I'm now having." X, Y, Z. In the seven years that I've been at the Paley Institute, I started in 2014 and I've been in the field for, I think, 11 years before that or nine years before that. Wow. Um, but I wasn't doing stature. I was doing independent limb lengthening, uh, like post-traumatic stuff. Uh, I don't know of anyone who is coming back in saying, these are problems I have as a direct result of having my lengthening. So right now there, there's no long-term reports that I'm aware of that are showing negative outcomes. Okay. Again, a little anecdote, because I have lots of them. Yeah. And, it, and it's, it's not quite what you're asking, but we had a patient in his 50s. This was precise. So this must be five years ago before stride. And he was a very avid 5K runner and he knew his times. So I used to run, a, I'm making this up, an eight and a half minute mile. And I did my lengthening and two years later, I'm running a nine and a half minute mile. Oh, I'm sorry, you're slower than you used to be. <laughs> and he said, my running time eventually was gonna slow down anyway as I got old, but I always have my length or I always have my height. Right. And I thought that was a very mature response. So the flip side is let's say in 20 years, we do find there's a 1% increased risk of something, fill in the blank. Mm -hmm. Then that's going to be weighed against what is the perceived benefit of this surgery. And to me, if you're willing to undergo surgery that has a very small, very small, but possible chance of a blood clot or a stroke or death or a bone not healing or needing other surgery, you undergo those risks, though they're very small, then I would think the benefit you get from this surgery is far outweighed for the potential problem that might come 20 or 30 years later. If, if I can say that properly, that that's a, that's an amazing thing. It's that trade-off question again. And it comes back to like, right. how much do you really want this? Is this really yeah. an impact? What's it worth that? to you? And I don't mean monetarily. Right. A hundred percent. Okay. Yep. All right. So we're going to get into the chat here. Uh, the first sure. one is uh, we'll just take five and then we'll, uh, we'll go from there and then we'll be all done after that. Is that okay? okay. All right. Yeah. Cool. Um, so this person is asking, uh, are there many patients who do two surgeries weeks apart, like lengthening both the tibias and the femurs? So like, let's say they lengthen the femurs and then three weeks apart, they lengthen the, the tibias, um, quadrilateral lengthening. Like what's your, uh, amount of patients that usually undergo that? Okay. So first shame on you, Victor, you should know we do the tibias first. Then the <laughs> yeah, that's right. Cause they heal slow. But let's talk about why, but let's talk about why for a right, second. Right. So we do the tibias first because to put the rods in the tibias, you have to bend the knees. You have to maximally flex the knees. Right. Yeah. Secondly, 
Um, the tibias, we lengthen at a slower rate. And thirdly, the tibias take longer to heal. So if you start with the tibias, um, then if you're, you're not getting the problem of your knees getting contracted uh, by the time you're doing your femurs. Okay, so our number one surgery we do is a straight forward bilateral femoral lengthening, probably 60 to 70%. Okay. We have a few patients for tibia only, less than 10%. Wow. And the rest are combined tibia and femur. Okay. Um, a lot of patients come in saying, I want to be 10 centimeters taller. And it's just a number that comes out of their mouth. And I ask them why, and they, they think they have an answer, but, but a lot of it seems to be driven by the fact that everybody knows who's done any research, the nails currently in use go to eight centimeters. Mm -hmm. But what if they went to seven or what if they went to nine, mm -hmm. then everybody would want seven or they'd want nine or, you know, they'd want the most. And that would be sort of the default answer. So why don't they go to 10? Why don't they go 11? Well, probably because if they did, then everybody would want that. And then you really worry about proportions and you worry about safety and you worry about contractures and you worry about, about those things. The more length you get, the more potential for problems. So if a patient isn't really sure how much length they want, but they think three inches, which is seven and a half centimeters, just less than the most the nail can do, then we, we never push anybody. But we talk about the benefits of a single surgery, which could be femur surgery, has the better chance of getting near that three inches or that seven and a half centimeters than doing combined surgery because it's half the surgery. It's also half the cost. But if your goal is three inches to do that above and below the knee is a lot of surgery and you'd really have to have a good reason to subject yourself to twice the surgery mm -hmm. and therefore twice the potential risks. Right. So that's why femur lengthening is, is in our Institute far and away the most popular thing we do. Okay. All right. So we're just going to take five minutes and then we're going to answer some questions out of the chat. Here, okay. so we have it. Um, uh, let's see here. I have people saying, okay. So people are asking, um, what's the safest way to lengthen the tibias? I know you guys use internal lengthening nails there for cosmetic uh -huh. lengthening, but yeah. they're asking, is the external fixator not lengthening over nail, just a pure external, yeah. I guess, ring fixator. Is that yeah. technically less invasive than an internal lengthening nail because of less reaming and all that? Yeah, 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 absolutely. You, you don't go through the knee joint. Mm -hmm. There's nothing inside the body except for maybe you have a screw near the knee and the ankle, which you get, whether it's an internal fixator or the internal lengthening or external fixator, we, the device is attached to the main shin bone, which is called the tibia. Mm -hmm. But in most people, unless they have a congenital problem or some weird trauma, there's also a bone on the outside called your fibula. That's the bump you feel on the outside by your knee. And that's the bump you feel below your ankle on, on the outside part of your leg. Mm -hmm. So the fibula bone has to be temporarily attached to the tibia bone. So therefore, when the tibia bone lengthens, the fibula bone must follow. Mm -hmm. And we do that we do it, we use two small screws, one by the knee, one by the ankle. Okay. Whether you're doing it internally with the rod or externally with the fixator. If you're doing it with the fixator, there's other ways to fix the bones together. You can use a wire or a pin, but either way, the bones have to be coupled together. Mm -hmm. So external fixator lengthening is wonderful. We do that a ton, whether it's for post-traumatic or uh, congenital problems in kids or just somebody that an internal nail won't fit. So I love external fixator lengthening. And a stature patient said to me, I would like to be lengthened with external fixators because I can walk immediately and I don't want a metal rod in my body. And for whatever reason, I would have no hesitation offering external fixator lengthening for stature in addition to non-stature applications. Okay, wow. But but you guys don't do that there, do you? You do? Uh, it, if somebody asks for it, absolutely <laughs> would. But most people don't want it. Most people don't want the fixator. Right. For obvious reasons. It's just clunky things sticking on you. How do you put on pants? Or do your legs rub together? What about the pins? So yeah. you know, there's reasons why internal lengthening was developed. Right. But by no means does it mean you throw away the history of 60 years <laughs> proven, uh, proven efficacy. <laughs> right, right. That's awesome. Well, that's good, good knowledge to know. I'm sure that a lot of patients are uh, thinking about that. Okay, very cool. So we'll just take two more here. Um, uh, okay, so uh, that's a person asking actual question. Um, let's see here. Okay, what, what materials are the stride screw 
is it also yeah the stride screws what materials are they made up of are they also made up of biodeer yes they are okay cool that's an easy answer um okay then we'll just take a few more uh do you feel okay so recovery for actual combat sports athletes yep. not not people who are just running or doing that but like where they're bending legs like mma grappling and yeah yeah what's your take on that um how do they have a longer recovery and whatnot well so recovery after the surgery while the nails are still after so we'll talk about all that so okay. we I, I can think of one patient who i knew was active in mixed martial arts before the lengthening he finished lengthening about a year and a half ago. i don't know if he went back now, I don't know if he didn't go back by choice or if he didn't feel like he was, he was physically ready. Um, an interesting way I'm going to answer this question is something you may not think of, but, but it's worth thinking about. Imagine you are an expert in your field, whatever it is. You are the best poker player in the world. And then you take a year and a half off. And then you go back to start again. Can you really get back to where you were? I don't know the answer to that because I don't play poker. But why I'm saying that is, let's say you're an elite level athlete, for whatever reason, you're going to undergo this surgery. The first thing I'm saying is this will not make you a better athlete, regardless of your sport. This is not done for athletic performance. This is done to fulfill that inner need to be taller, that height dysphoria we were speaking about earlier. So we're not doing cosmetic lengthening to make you a better athlete. So that being said, you do the surgery... Assume you did a femur lengthening, you're here with us for three months in a little bit, you go home, your healing goes as expected, by six months, your bones are healed, you're now putting full weight, you've been on crutches for six months, so it's going to take you several months just to get your walking muscles back, the muscles in your hips and, and your gluteals, and get your strength and your endurance back. So we say that by about a year walking down the street, no one should notice you, you're walking any differently. But if you have an athletic endeavor that you're good at, it's probably another year to get back to that level, to get that 5K time, to be doing the double black diamonds or whatever your sport is. Now, for mixed martial arts or something where there's a high load, a direct impact, those patients have a risk for fracture, whether they had surgery or not. There must be some increased risk for fractures should you take a direct kick exactly where there's a screw hole yeah. or exactly where the rod ends in the boat. And I cannot quantify that for you. Okay. So once your muscles and your flexibility, your strength and your balance and your endurance and all those other factors that go into making you safe to enter the ring, regardless of surgery, mm-hmm. once you feel like you're back, then probably there is some slight increased risk while the rod is in. And even after the rod comes out, there's small holes in the bone where the screws are that we like to let those heal for one month or two months, say. But if you were getting back into a combat-type sport, we'd have to have a very real discussion. You may be at a slightly increased risk for things I can't even think of. Yeah. But I have to say, a remarkable thing about bone is that bone is the only tissue in the body that doesn't make scar tissue. Right. You've got the skin, you get a little scar, you see, you have a heart attack, you get a little piece of, of dead heart muscle, you have colon surgery, you get some, some, some scarring in the mucosa. Mm-hmm. Bone heals with bone. So once your bone is healed at the lengthening site, that's every bit normal bone, like bone that you made before your surgery. So that's healed and strong and back to normal. What I'm talking about is the fact that the solid rod ends at some point short of the full length of your bone and that's concentrate stress that's called a stress riser and that's not just due to lengthening that's any internal rod you have if it doesn't go the full length of the bone i see and and when the screws come out there's little holes that have to heal again that's not exclusive to limb lengthening that's to any hardware that was in your body when it comes out there's screw holes that have to heal so a direct impact might have an increased risk i can't quantify Mm, yeah. And that's why you guys suggest to let the bone fully consolidate after removal of the device. Very good. Um, Dr. Robin, somebody has a personal question for you is like, or not sure. a personal, but like about your, your treatment. So do you treat other yeah. deformities like femoral retroversion and external tibial torsion yes. along with limo? You do that? Yeah. You mean, you mean combined with stature or just, yeah, um, it says with limb length discrepancies. Yeah, of course. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, so that's what I love. So, I think I'm a pretty good stature surgeon. I think I'm a pretty good stature care provider. But before I did that, 
I was a pediatric orthopedic surgeon. My heart will always be with kids. Okay. Um, if you watch the video, apparently I have a nice interaction with my daughter <laughs> <laughs> during our, our interview last week or two weeks ago. So yes, absolutely. I, I hope I'm not just here, um, giving information about lengthening. At some point, we'll talk about other things too. But absolutely, absolutely, take care of patients with a whole slew of orthopedic conditions, including femoral retroversion, which is when you tend to walk with your toes pointed very outward, like my dad has, or whether you're an in-toer, um, which can be tibial torsion, mm-hmm. with or without limb length discrepancy. I absolutely love to take care of those things. Okay, perfect. So that answers that question for that person. This person asked about the Pilly Clinic. Um, do you guys offer caretakers or do they have to hire somebody from the outside? So so we don't have our own caretakers on staff. Okay. And our clinical coordinators have a whole slew of people and, and agencies ranging from, hey, come bring me some food to I need someone staying with me overnight to help take care of me for the first two weeks after surgery. So absolutely, you can reach out to Angelique and Sylvia, our excellent um, there are stature coordinators, our, our non-stature coordinators equally is excellent. We have many more of them too. Um, but Victor can link all that to you or you can go to Paley Institute, but absolutely we can get you in touch with very good vetted care providers that we've been using for quite some time. Absolutely. I'll make sure to link that um, after this. Uh, Dr. Robbins, I don't want to hold you up, but there's the questions are just put on. No, I'm fine. I'm here. You're good? Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. We'll, we'll go for like 10 more minutes. I don't want to kill you. This is an hour. They love you, man. There's more wow. viewers coming on. So I love it. Okay, cool. So this person is asking, um, would the, uh, would the army cover uh, cosmetic limb lengthening um, if they serve for a number of years? I have no idea. I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> Okay. I, I, I unfortunately have to punt on that question because I don't even know how to answer that. Okay. Yeah. We'll leave that one alone. Okay. Um, this one's asking about HGH and recovery. Like obviously we know it can help with bone recovery to an extent, but do you even suggest that be one of the patient's focuses in recovery or would healthy nutrition and physiotherapy be best? Yeah. I, I thank you for answering that for me. Okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> so let's do the things that we know work, um, which are, which are good diet, good nutrition, lots of stretching. Yeah. Um, an, an important counterpoint to make is your recovery Let's say HGH is proven to help in bone healing and muscle healing and all that. That's great. But I never want someone to get the false sense that taking a shot or taking a pill is a shortcut to getting better. There is nothing that's going to make you better faster than you getting on the floor and stretching hours, H-O-U-R-S, plural, (laughs) hours per day. You're going to have some sleepless nights. You're going to have some pain and discomfort but it's going to be part of the process that's going to get you where you want to be. It doesn't come in a pill. It doesn't come in a bottle. It doesn't come with a needle. It comes with you hard work and psychological fortitude to get through this process. So yes, they may be adjuncts, but as Victor said, that is a very, very small benefit um, that you don't need. Right. Right. Okay. So somebody's asking they're they've got lengthening done at another center and they're having trouble bending their knee. They think that it's scar tissue inside their knee. Um, what could be the, like, they think it may be the quadriceps tendon. Have you seen any like possible like restrictions of, let's say, uh, they can't flex their knee essentially. Um, what would be some possible, uh, diagnosis for that? So, so I'm not going to get into diagnosis. Right. Okay. Okay. Right. But, but let's talk about in general. So yeah. When did the knee become stiff? Was it during lengthening? Was lengthening continued while the knee was stiff or did the stiffness come after? Those are important things to know. So as I always seem to do, I I spin all these questions into why you should come to us. So why should you come to us? So let's presume that you're being lengthened at our institute and five days a week, Monday through Friday, you're seeing our physical therapist. This is what they do. They are trained Mm -hmm. for this. They are experts in this and it's what they do every day, just like we do. So at the first sign that you're losing motion, I'm aware of it. Dr. Paley's aware of it. We're all aware of it. And you're on our radar and we have strategies. We do more therapy at home. We spread out the lengthening. Sometimes we slow down the lengthening. Whatever we do, we're aware of the problem and we, and we have things we do to try to mitigate it against it. If you're getting tight during the lengthening and it's not responding to these things very rarely, will stop your lengthening less than 10%, way less than 10%. And things like that don't happen all of a sudden. You're not going to show up on a Monday and I saw you a week earlier and I'm going to say, oh, you got so stiff over the weekend, you're lengthening stuff. That's not how it happens. Things happen very slowly. We 
have lots of time to make decisions. So I'm, I'm hoping the case with this person isn't that they were getting tight all along and the lightning persisted mm. and they kept getting tighter and tighter. That's just, that's not how we do it. Right. Um, if you're still tight after all hope is not lost, just because somebody said, Oh, it may be this, or it may be that the answer is still getting on the floor and stretching. Maybe you need some professional physical therapy in addition to what you're doing. There's lots of things you can do to regain your motion. So don't be, don't feel like all hope is lost. Mm -hmm. um, obviously I'm not giving you medical advice, um, but if you haven't gotten back into therapy or pulled out your, your handouts from where your lengthening was performed, maybe you should and uh, reinvestigate. Okay. Uh, next question is, instead of a walker, can you use two crutches to walk around for, I guess, stature lengthening? Yeah. So in the beginning, you're on a walker for a lot of reasons. It's the most stable way to go. Mm -hmm. um, it's easy to get up. Uh, it, it's more stable for you when your muscles are still sore from surgery and, and maybe you're taking pain medicine and you get up, we don't want you to trip and fall, but our therapist will evaluate you, the individual and come up with a plan that one is safe for you, right. two, you can do on your own reliably and three, you're not going to put too much weight on the nails. So okay. if that means using two crutches, then by all means you can use two crutches, but expect to be on a walker in the beginning at the very least. Okay. Gotcha. Um, this person is asking, um, let's see here. I just scroll past it. Let me, let me ask this other question first and then I'll come sure. back. Um, we have five minutes guys. So we're going to let that, Oh, this, this person <laughs> yeah, I guess is, we have to do this again. Yeah, no, we will. I mean, I, I, I will go, I have time, but I don't want to like take up your time. So, um, but yeah, so this person is asking, or actually just stating that they love you. Awesome guy. They had surgery with you. I guess you know who they are, but um, they're saying that they're going to have rods taken out with you soon. Um, okay. So yeah, just a little comment for you. All right. Thanks um, for the shout out. Yeah. A little shout out there. Okay. This person is asking a really good question. I'm going to pin it and um, ask it. And what height do you reckon getting this limb lengthening surgery for, uh, for getting taller is pointless in order to, yeah. So again, I'm going to tell you an anecdote. And if you haven't heard this, I'm, I'm, I'm now quoting Dr. Paley. If I'm misquoting, you get the square of what I'm saying. Earlier in his career, a gentleman came from Scandinavia who was about Dr. Paley's height, 5'11". Okay. And said, I'm having problems. I'm not as tall as my peers. Uh, he's having all, all the same things that, that someone might say who, for you... Victor sitting there, if a, of a, a gentleman who is five foot three was saying the same things, mm -hmm. you would hear the same things. This gentleman who's 5'11 was saying the same things. And Dr. Pena looked at him and evaluated him and heard everything he was saying, but he was the same height as him. And he declined him as a patient for, for no other reason that he was as tall as Dr. Paley was. Wow. Now, what if Dr. Paley were five foot four or six foot four? Who knows? But he, Dr. Paley, used that as an educational experience for himself and realized, and again, this is much earlier in his career and I apologize if I'm telling the story wrong, drawer, but he used that as, as a method of truly understanding the psychological component to this height dysphoria. And now if that patient came back, by all means he would lengthen that patient because they're having this problem. Right. So that being said, I have lengthened many more than a handful of people who are taller than me. I'm somewhere between 5'9 and 5'10. I guess it depends on when I uh, put myself on the ruler and what shoes I'm wearing. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I have liked it, and many, many patients end up like So, okay. So, you. Yeah, that's so a great it's not a number. We don't peg it to a number. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Cause you really can't, I mean, everybody can have uh, height dysphoria at any height, I suppose. Oh, that's that's oh. it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, this person is asking what percent of people are middle-aged um, cosmetic limb lengthening patients require additional surgical procedures later on down the line to correct a problem. Let's say things like insufficient bone callus formation, non-union, nerve issues, anything like that. Have you seen people? Great question. Yeah. Come back? So, and I may be wrong if nothing's jumping to mind, to my knowledge. And again, this is so since 2014 and, and, and there were even patients that I hadn't operated on that I've been part of their care. I can't think of any femur surgery lengthening patients we've had that went on to um, non-union and needed another surgery. They may have taken a little bit longer to heal, but they all achieved union without a secondary surgery. So a very quick and dirty way of kind of parsing 
what's a complication and what's not. Some people might say a complication is something that requires additional surgery to take care of, which is, I think, the spirit of what you're asking. So if your bones are slow to heal, that's not due to anyone's fault. And that's not your fault. And that's not our fault. I mean, there are things we could do if we lengthen you too fast, or we don't pay attention to your bone healing that maybe we could make that worse, which hopefully we don't. But if your bones are slow to heal, but we eventually heal without surgery, that's great. We don't consider that a problem or a complication. In our research, it may show that the time for healing was a little bit longer in some patients, but the number of patients who need a surgery to achieve union I want to say is less than 1%. I can think of a patient who is a football player who had delayed healing on his tibia. He achieved a lot of length. I'm not going to tell you how much and his femurs and his tibias. And he wanted to get back to playing tackle football. And we offered more time as a way of assuring adequate healing. And he and his family opted for removing all of the rods when they were all ready to come out and prophylactically, meaning preventatively, we placed a much smaller permanent rod inside the tibia to give it extra strength until it finished healing. And I actually got an x-ray from him yesterday and it's fully healed now. So that was someone who didn't have a secondary surgery. They were having the rods removed anyway, Mm -hmm. but preventatively we placed a rod to give it extra support to prevent fracture while it finishes healing. Okay. Awesome. So, very. so it, it's very, in our hands, in our practice, the number of patients who need secondary surgeries is very small. Okay. It's very small. Very cool. All right. <laughs> so um, I think we're wrapping up here. We have, we'll take one last question and then we're going to just go ahead and uh, give Dr. Robbins uh, a way out. Cause he, he just drove back from work. He literally left the clinic. He's uh, doing this interview on his drive home. So, um, okay. So this person's saying that they had lengthening done in February with the precise stride nail. Um, they have a lot of swelling in their lower legs and their shins hurt too. Their surgeons say it's normal, but should it still be swollen this far out from the surgery? So is, is it one of yeah, our patients not, or not? I, I no, I, I think it's, they had it done at another center, but um, they're just kind of asking okay. in general. Like, yeah. Yeah, so, so to me, if there's swelling postoperatively, an important question is, has it always been there or did it go away and then come? Because that can mean different things. So again, not doing medical treatment or, or trying to give you medical advice. If you have swelling that is new or different, it now hurts and it didn't. It's worse now than it was. It wasn't swollen three weeks ago and now it is. Well, something to consider is what we talked about at the very beginning. Maybe there's a blood clot. Not trying to scare you, but that has to be on a list of things. It can also just be that you're not up and active as you thought you were. Maybe you need to wear some compression socks. So if you're one of my patients, I lift up my scrubs and I show you that five days a week, I wear compression socks that go all the way up to my knees and I haven't had surgery and I don't have blood problems, but I do because my legs kill after walking all day. I can't even imagine what they'd feel like after being lengthened. So you may try compression socks. You may try elevation. You may try getting in the pool. So the hydrostatic pressure helps. So some of our patients do have continued swelling. And I think it's just because they're much less active than they were before surgery. And I can't think of patients when they're coming for the removal, which is maybe a year later, who still have persistent swelling. Now, if you tell me this patient is 65 and they had a heart bypass surgery and they had a vein graft, well, now we have lots of reasons why they may. But swelling can be uh, a, a problem related to lengthening. It can also be completely unrelated to lengthening and maybe you need to have your kidneys checked. Okay. So <laughs> again, not giving medical advice. Right. Right. Absolutely. That, that the swelling resolves, assuming it's post-operative swelling. At least that's our experience. Right. Very cool. Awesome. Well, great answers to these awesome questions. We want to thank Dr. Robbins from the Paley Orthopedic and Spine Institute in West Palm Beach, Florida. If you guys want to reach out to him for a consultation, I'll have his links and his email posted in the, in the uh, video notes after this is posted. Again, this is a live stream. It'll take some time to post up. Uh, but yeah, assuming Dr. Robbins is up for it, we'll try to do this again next yep. month. Um, yep. He's an awesome surgeon. So uh, we all, if you guys want to leave some awesome comments um, and thank Dr. Robbins, you can do that uh, below this video after <laughs> so we can send it to him. So thank you. Dr. Robbins, we want to thank you for your time and uh, yeah, we'll see you next time. My pleasure. All right. Bye, Victor. All right. Have a good one. All right, guys, I hope you guys like that. Um, 
Yeah, so I'm going to just wrap up here. Uh, Dr. Robbins is gone. He literally just came back from the clinic today. He left a little late, and uh, so we got word from that. But um, we're going to try to have him on again next month. Um, and uh, next week for the LinkedIn Live, we're going to have uh, an expert physical therapist who has years of experience with physical therapy rehab of limb lengthening. So I hope you guys enjoyed this. This is something new. Again, I was going to do... Um, you know, have everybody, if you want to submit questions uh, for the next Limb Lengthening Live, we have a physical therapist coming on. You can send them to live at cyborgforlife.com um, or you can just, you know, send me an email or comment in the YouTube uh, comments. I'm always pretty active on there. And uh, yeah, I'm going to get ready to roll out of the office and go get some dinner. It's getting kind of late over here on the East Coast. Um, if you guys have any last questions for me, um, but yeah, thank you so much for your time um, joining this. I think this is going to be good. I want to just try to make this the ultimate resource for limb lengthening let's just check out the chat what do we got here yeah i'm just gonna say thanks all right guys i'm gonna bounce unless you guys have any questions all right cool <laughs> awesome guys all right we're gonna go ahead and end the stream and i will see you in the next video whenever i do that probably this weekend sometime <laughs>